welcome to That Creative Life. Hi, my name is Sarah Dietschy and I am your host. I talk with artists, YouTubers, CEOs, and everyone in between. I hope this podcast helps you live your best creative life. Enjoy. What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of That Creative Life. Today, we have Andrew with us. Andrew, what's up? What is happening? Um, there's a lot There's a lot up right now in the world, but uh, yeah. hey, thank you for having me on the show. I've been a big fan for a long time. And as I told you yesterday, I've secretly been hoping to be invited. And here we are. And here we Dream are. This true. is so exciting. Um, and I'm so excited to chat with you. And we just did your podcast. Um, it's with you and John Rettinger, which was awesome. So if you guys want to hear some comments some discussion about what's going on in the world right now you can listen to that it'll be linked um, in the show notes below in this podcast we're going to kind of dive into andrew's life uh because from someone who's just kind of watched from afar it's been really cool to see all the things that you've done um and also it's interesting that you are a more you're almost like a youtuber second I feel like mm-hmm. you're you're a business dude, man. You get in yeah. there and you get you get ish done. So I'm excited to talk to you about that. For, uh, sure. for people who are not aware of you, give us a little rundown of your YouTube channel. Okay. Yeah. So similar to a lot of other people, I assume a lot of your listeners. Um, if you're familiar with the tech YouTube space, I'm I'm a part of that. So I I love and have a a strong passion for consumer electronics. Um, and I say that in particular, rather than just saying tech, like I love gadgets, um, anything you find in a Best Buy or an Apple store that plugs into a wall or has a battery, like that is just to me magic. Even today, like I'm not even that jaded, like being able to have a face to face conversation on a super thin piece of metal and glass with someone else, no matter where I'm standing in the world is just, it still blows my mind to this day. So that's been my passion. Um, that's the content I focus on, but that is not what I think equals successful business, if that makes sense. And so you kind of alluded earlier, um, I'm a businessman first and a content creator second. And how did you get into recording videos? When did you start your YouTube channel? Okay. So I started it way back in, or I started doing videos back in 2006, January of 2006. And the reason was because I started as a blogger, so a tech blogger. I started my website the same month that Engadget started. Wow. Um, GearLive.com. And it was the same type of content. Here's, you know, after work, I would go to work. I was an IT manager back then, um, like 19, 20 years old. I'd come home and I'd be like, you know what? I have opinions. I have opinions about Microsoft maybe releasing an Xbox. What is this? Like, I'm going to write about it on a website just in my spare time and just see what happens. So nine months later, this website becomes my full-time job because I'm making all this AdSense money. And I'm like, if I quit my job and I do this for eight hours a day instead of one, if I multiply the income by eight, I'm making like three times what I'd be making mm. at work. So let's and, see. And when let's you just, say AdSense, was it AdWords? So you would literally like, it would say Xbox and it would go to a Best Buy landing page or something? Correct. Okay. Yes. So on the website, on the publisher side, it's AdSense. And on the buyer side, it's AdWords back gotcha. then. So nowadays it's just Google ads. Yeah. So I quit my job 
and just just knowing I'm going to make this work. And the very next day, a company reaches out to me directly and says, hey, we would like to place a banner ad on your website. We want to pay banner you $3,000. Wow. And that was the eye opener because mm-hmm. to me, it was all, all my money was coming from Google and which Google takes a cut, obviously. And I didn't even realize it never clicked to me. Wait, I can just work with these companies directly. Like they know, they know who I am. Like, yeah, you were doing wow. that influencer stuff even before we, like I even started my YouTube channel, man. I think you were, may have been in third grade um, <laughs> yeah. at this time. <laughs> I started my channel, uh, junior or sophomore year of high school in 2011. Okay. Yeah. So I'm talking yeah. about 2004 right now, mm-hmm. 2004, yeah, I was 2005. Fourth grade. There you go. See, <laughs> <laughs> so, so I started blogging and it was very successful. Um, we were all kind of similar to the kind of the tech space on YouTube today. Like we were all kind of peers. So Gizmodo and Gadget, me, Ars Technica, um, and there were a few others and we kind of supported each other and everything was cool until the big companies started coming in and buying up these properties. So AOL comes in, like they take it over in Gadget and Gizmodo takes on a bunch of, um, they don't get acquired, but they get a bunch of uh, money from an investor. So now they have like different, you know, different things happening. Condi Nast picks up Ars Technica. I didn't want to sell because the way that they calculate, like if you're going to acquire a business, they'll usually do between three and eight times annual revenue pretty much. And that'll be their offer. And then you'd have to sign a contract that says you'll stay on to keep running your property for six to 12 months before you can leave. And I had such bigger aspirations than what that amount was that I turned down offers initially. And then I was like, wait a minute. And Gadget's staff went from two to 20 over the course of like two weeks. Gizmodo went from one to 15. Like all these Obviously, when you buy a brand, you're going to put all your money in to make sure it's successful. And I'm still just me. I'm me. I'm just one guy. So all of a sudden, I'm like, this is two years later, 2006 or end of 2005. I'm like, I need I need to come up with a plan quickly because there's no way I can output as much content as 16 people in a day. What can I do? What? How can I stay relevant in this world where? I'm very quickly going to be drowned out. And so I tapped into, I don't know if you know this, I tapped into my past where I used to be a professional wrestler. Did you know that? Andrew, what? (laughs) Yes. What? Yes. So I grew up in New York City. Um, When I was six years old, I turned on the TV one day and it was like the WWF, Hulk Hogan, Jake the Snake Roberts. And I'm like enthralled as a six-year-old. And I'm like, you know what? That's... That's going to be my adult future life. That's what I'm doing with my life right there. And so I started training to be a professional wrestler. Um, and I started oh wrestling in the New York area. I love this. How did I not know, yeah. know about this? So at what age were you when you Between started? Between ages 18 to just after I turned 20, every weekend, Saturday and Sunday, I would be wrestling somewhere in the tri-state area. So New York, New Jersey, not Connecticut. So New York and New Jersey, basically Philadelphia sometimes. And so here's the thing as, as crazy as that story is, the point of this is that when you are 
a pro wrestler and obviously oh that's fake it's scripted exactly that's the point you are in you're doing live performance art and you have to act and you're basically like in your spandex underwear in front of a hundred or more people who you don't know fake fighting someone else at no point whether you're on a microphone like talking to the crowd or your opponent or when you're doing the actual show at no point can you go oh you know i messed up can we take you take two can we do like you can't do that so you have to learn how to be charismatic on a camera how to roll with any mistake that happens you just meant to do i mean i meant to do that like so I had this knowledge of how to uniquely command my presence on camera. And I said to myself, okay, CES is coming up, CES 2006. They're all gonna be out there and Gadget's gonna have all 20 of their people out there. I can't, I can't match what they're gonna do by blogging. I'm gonna do video. Wow, in 2006. 2006. And during that time, what is that setup? Like what in the world, what kind of camera were you rocking? I'm, I'm, I'm running around with a Panasonic camcorder, a camcorder okay. with a tape in and it. You're, are you set, are you setting it on a tripod? Like it's just you? No, because this was, so I'd never like, this was my first foray. So I, I didn't even have this. I didn't even know what a tripod like was. I just knew like, okay, I'm just going to carry <laughs> I bought the, I ordered it on like Amazon or B and H. It was a handheld Panasonic camcorder. And it was all shot in first person because I couldn't like hold it out. Like I was, there was no such thing as vlogging. We didn't know about pointing our cameras oh, at so, ourselves. So you, so you would sit there and you would just do the audio. Correct. Your voice would be over you pointing yes. at things. Or I'd interview wow. someone. It's just pointed at them and you just hear my right. voice in the background. But that was, that was a start and people took notice. And the following year, CES 2007. So I started doing video, you know, throughout 2006, 2007. My plan was. At CES, I am going, this is going to be my, my coming out party at CES. At CES 2007, I did 116 pieces of video content. It was the most video content of any media outlet in all of CES. And the CEA oh recognized gosh. me for that. And that was the start of me saying, okay. I'm on to something bigger than just the aspirations of being a blogger. And did you put those videos on your website or cause I know YouTube was a thing in what 2007, like where did yeah. you even put those videos? I hosted them all. <laughs> so I paid for the server space. Like people don't even know that this was a thing back in the day. Yeah. Like, I'm like, how would you even do that back it, then? <laughs> it's like so funny to me when people get mad at YouTube about things. Because to me, I'm like, you don't even know this is free. <laughs> what it used to be. Like I had to pay for the server space and I had to pay for the bandwidth, the bandwidth for me to upload the videos and the bandwidth for each person to download them. And my distribution oh, so method. It wasn't, it wasn't streaming. People had to download the video to watch it. You could stream it if so. I did have a player that would stream the video from my server or my primary delivery method was actually iTunes podcast. So it was a video podcast. Ooh. So most people that consumed it would consume it as a podcast that they subscribe to an iTunes, which got me the attention can, of Apple. Can you, can we just take a moment to realize how far ahead Apple was of the game? Oh, and yeah. if they just put their heads down, invested into podcasts and video podcasts, mm -hmm. 
how much like they could have been youtube that's true they could have they could have easily had a player like that that mm-hmm. could have started with video podcasts and just shifted shifted to youtube basically holy that's, smokes that's true but you know the, the thing that i respect about apple even to this day like we've seen with um joe rogan's podcast for example on spotify apple has never been in the game of we want to own the podcast they just want to support and help distribute the podcast so i never like with youtube if you upload to youtube it's on youtube i don't live or die or didn't back then live or die by apple's platform it just helped me get in front of you know more eyes but i guess it's the the classic capitalism thing yes. where if you don't do it someone's gonna that do is it true, and someone is. <laughs> so, so then being asleep at the wheel for 10 years spotify is going to be that person yeah. you know um, which is insane with the whole Joe Rogan thing. Maybe we can talk about that sure. in a minute, but, um, whole, okay. So you got attention of brands mm-hmm. of, I'm sure these different publishers. So what was that next step? Did you all of a sudden have contacts at these different companies where you, were you given product early on? I mean, were you doing this tech YouTuber thing? Um, and it sounds like 2007. I mean, how did that escalate? What was, what was next after that? So I actually made the conscious decision to stay away from YouTube. There was a TOS back then that several people of the early video creators like Rocket Boom and like Ask a Ninja. There were so many of these video creators back then that rebelled almost against YouTube's TOS because it was written in such a way that it was like, if you put a video on YouTube and we decide to make a YouTube decides to make a video called the top 10 stupidest creators on the platform we could use your we could use your video and feature you in that way if we so choose so they basically owned it it was just like you know what i'm i'm not feeling that i'm i'm going with what i think is the future and what's going to win the video battle i am hosting all my stuff on (laughs) blip.tv i don't know if you ever heard of blip.tv Nope, but I think that's the point. <laughs> yeah, that is exactly <laughs> the point. Now, blip.tv um, was close competition to Vimeo. So it was more, you know how Vimeo today is more like, I, I take myself more seriously. I make art. Right. It's, or they just want to embed yeah. into their website. There's no ads. Right. So that was kind of the point of going with blip.tv. Their TOS was very um, creator friendly. But they obviously went the way of uh, the dodo and YouTube changed their TOS. And so in early in late 2008 is when I decided I'm going to start hosting my stuff on YouTube. And I use that word very deliberately hosting my stuff on YouTube. I initially didn't really get it. Like I was all about, this is free storage so I can make a video I can upload it to YouTube. I can then embed it into the blog, which was still the main primary income generator. And that's great. I never thought about comments, community, like like all, it was just That's how even my first video in 2011, I literally used YouTube to host it so I could put it on a forum. Yeah. When I played guitar and I, I've, you know, sold pedals and all that stuff, there was a huge like forum culture for musicians. Mm-hmm. So I would do that all the time. I would like, I would play a pedal, 
post on YouTube, but I would just make it unlisted. Right. Or actually, I would just make it public because I didn't know the difference. And then once people, it went from like 20 views to randomly a thousand. It's like, what? Yeah. Wait, YouTube is actually a platform people go to? Mm-hmm. What is this? <laughs> I agree. So it's actually took me a while to to switch my mindset because it was all about getting people to the blog. Interesting. So what year was that 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 shifted? The shift. When were you like, okay, YouTube? Yeah, the shift happened. I'm trying to think. I would say the rise of Facebook and Twitter. When if you look at a diagram, and I'm not referring to any diagram. I'm just I'm just making an assumption here. But if you look at a diagram. As usage of Facebook and Twitter rose, people visiting dedicated websites to get their news dropped. And so people would rather see the headline and get like a quick tweet. Apple announces iPhone 4S and it has Siri. Okay. Rather than making a daily trip to into the blogosphere, which is what we used to call it back in the day, people started just getting their news on Facebook, on Twitter. And this was the next point in my career where I was like, okay, hold on. Similar to a few years ago where I was getting drowned out by competing websites with their staffs growing, I'm now getting drowned out by social media. That's my new nemesis in a way. That's, that is the new threat to my current business model. So I need to once again adapt with the times and figure out how do I stay relevant in this in this new world? And so I would say it was probably 2011 slash 2012 where I was hardcore. I'm switching away from the blog as the primary driver that's supported by video. And instead, it's all video supported by my other channels. There's so much to unpack. <laughs> First of all, we got to rewind a little okay. bit because I, I would like to connect the dots between blogger, professional wrestler <laughs> and IT guy. Okay. So how in the world did you go from pro wrestler to working in IT? Yes. Um, there is a connection point between the two. There was a certain like, I don't know how old your viewership, your listenership is here. So I always, I keep prefacing things because (laughs) there was this thing called America online back in the day. Does people know what that is? Yes. I mean, I will say my primary form of talking to my friends was getting on my dial up and getting on AIM. There you go. My, my username was uh, chick 22, Sarah chick with a (laughs) X. So I was hip. Yes. So yeah. AOL. So AOL, my username was AE one, two, three, four because I couldn't think of anything else. And that's what they suggested. I joined America online through my parents joined America online. And similar to when I was younger, when I was six years old and saw wrestling on TV, using a computer and being able to talk to people all over the country and world, it was again, just mind blowing. Like if, if you can imagine how reliant you are today on internet connectivity and data and imagine a world where you snap your fingers and that just literally does not exist. That was the world I live. I grew up in when I turned 14, 
that's when I went from a world where you want to connect with someone, you see them in person, you write them a letter or you make a phone call on a phone that is physically attached to a wall. That's how you connect with people to opening a computer and being able to chat or send an email. Like it was, it was a dynamic shift and I fell in love with it instantly. And one of the first things I did, um, as a wrestling fan at the times was I started a pro wrestling newsletter that had like 300 subscribers and it would hit their inbox every week at 14 years old. I made sure like this is part of my quote unquote job. I would get my homework done. Um, I would commute home. I went, I went to Brooklyn tech high school and I lived in the Bronx. So I had like this 90 minute commute, but I was like, I need to make time for this because this is so cool that I get to connect with all these people and they want to read what I'm writing. Like, how amazing. So I loved technology even back then. I loved wrestling. I loved writing. So all three of those things came together when I was in high school. And the love of those three things has never left. Um, I became a pro wrestler at 18. And the thing about being someone who grew up in New York, and I know you've transplanted into New York, so you're not, you're not the person I'm talking about when I, when I say this. When you're in New York and you grew up in New York, you have this idea of the world that everywhere is like this. This is how everywhere should be. This is this place. Why would it not be like this? Because this place is amazing. So I moved to Seattle, assuming that it would be just like New York, including there would be several wrestling companies I could wrestle for. There would be amazing public transportation that I can get to and from. And I actually, so Seattle, where I first moved, I moved to a place called Olympia, Washington, which is about maybe like an hour, hour, 15 minute drive from Seattle. If you're in New York, you can drive an hour and a half and you're still in New York, right? So I'm thinking, oh, it's going to be just like that. Like, I'm just going to be, Seattle is the big city, but I'm just like an hour away or so. It's going to be, no, it was like people would go to Target and you'd hear, overhear them say, man, I only make it into town once every month. I'm like, town? What do you mean make it into town? This place... <laughs> This place just has trees. There's not even skyscrapers here. What are you talking about town? Where are you from? And there's no public transportation here. Like if you want to commute to Seattle, you drive. And when you're in New York, you take public transportation. You can take a nap. You can be playing on your Game Boy. You can do whatever you want here. Like you're focused on the traffic. So it was a very different, shocking reality. So why did I move to Seattle? Why did you move from New York to Seattle? I moved? Because all those things that you describe is, you know, honestly why I'm yes. here and, and I love it and the energy. And I imagine you being a 14 year old writing a wrestling newsletter. Mm -hmm. It's like, if there's a will, there's a way. Of course I have one. If I want to do this, I'll figure right. it out. I'll ask my friends. I'll ask the, you know, I mean, the people that you rub shoulders with in New York are insane. Mm -hmm. I mean, you could be in the ear of someone who can show you the way to the Absolutely. world. Like it's insane here. So I imagine again, that would probably be a big culture shock. So, so what brought Absolute you there? culture shock? Um, number one, I did honestly think that I was just changing my physical location, but my surroundings would be very similar it, at to New York, which I was extremely wrong about. Number two, um, I wanted to just kind of see the world in a way, not the world, but like I'd been in New York the whole time. A friend of mine moving to Seattle, I was like, you know what? I'm gonna go for a year. I'm gonna go with you, I'm gonna go for a year. But 
at that age, so when I moved, I was, I was 20. Um, at that age, it's like you move somewhere. It's like, okay, you get your friends, you get your job, you get your church, you get your, you know, you, you get your surroundings. All of a sudden it's like, oh, I guess I just live here now. I just live here now, I guess. So, um, especially like, you know, I wasn't making a lot of money at the time. So it's like even moving it's across the country is expensive. So it's like, do we, do I even have the money to move? And then you get your girlfriend and then it's like, okay, I'm, I'm just, I'm just here now. So I moved from Olympia to Seattle when I decided to start my company, I was in it just as my, that was just my job. But it was like, it wasn't even, when I say it manager, it wasn't very impressive. It was cause I was like 19 or 20. I was 20. It was just a small company of maybe 25 people that needed someone to manage their network. And since I just like computers, um, they put me in that position, but since it was such a small company, it wasn't a full-time job. So they also, they also made me the HR manager. So I was the HR manager and the IT manager wow. at the same time. So how did you, how did you get that foot in the door as kind of a younger kid mm. whose resume was lacking pro wrestler? Yeah. <laughs> that wasn't even on my resume. <laughs> no, it's, um, it's funny. And actually I never even, that's a great question because I never even like thought of that connection until now I applied at this company to just be a regular worker. It was a medical billing company. So they hired me to be a medical biller and I was bored. And I just said to myself, like, I need a challenge. Like, I don't, I can't just do monotonous stuff. I'm not someone who's just going to be satisfied. I'm just satisfied that I have a job. I'm grateful that I have one. I'm grateful that I can make a living, but I'm not satisfied with just this. I have aspirations. So I put in after about a year, I put in my resignation, my two weeks. And I was like, I just gotta, I gotta do something that I have passion for. And it's not this. And they called me in and they were like, you're one of the best workers we have. If we could, if you could make your own position here, what would it be? And that's when wow, I said, I, love that. I wanna do this network management stuff because I really like it and I love computers. And they figured, well, it's not full time. So could you also do this other stuff? And I agreed and that was yeah. it. That's so good. I love that because I feel like so many people don't realize if you don't love what you're doing, if you can prove to a company, a person that you're a hard yeah. worker, you have a good attitude. Trust me, it's hard enough to find those kind of people in the world. So if you come to them and say you're not satisfied, you you need some, you need a challenge, they're going to figure it out. Right. You know, they're going to be like, okay, let's figure this out. Maybe, you know, in the YouTube sense, I've had people where they'll say that and it's like, okay, well maybe your, your role needs to shift more to a filmer, to a mm -hmm. producer, less of the editor. Maybe that's not you. And I think so many people find themselves in a, in a dead end position. Just ask, Ooh, isn't that a good lesson? <laughs> like say that's something <laughs> like, you know, use your voice, but also you know? make yourself work so that you make yourself noticed and someone who is not expendable. Make it so that th we can't lose that person. Like put yourself in that position. 100%. And then, so with that, were you doing, so you're doing the blog on the side, you were, you were still, how, how were you getting this tech information? Cause right now anyone mm. could, can become a fan, can get knowledge, can look up on Wikipedia, can follow all the big YouTubers. Yeah. But I imagine back then it was a little different. Were you an avid subscriber of, a magazine that every month that was your source. I'm, I, Absolutely. I'm curious about what was that landscape yeah, no, like back, back then, then? It was um, magazines. There was a TV channel called Tech TV, 
And tech TV, see the reaction just tells you know you don't even know the greatness of tech TV, man. So so you tech TV. One day I come home, so you know how cable like they have like three hundred channels or whatever these days. I'm flipping through the channels and I stop on Leo Laporte showing how Mac OS ten point zero Mac OS ten when you minimize the window, it like genies down into the dock. Right. <laughs> and I remember how you could turn that yes. on and off too. It was like an option. Right. Now, <laughs> as someone who was using Windows and made fun of friends who were using like Mac OS nine devices at the time, Macs are stupid. Why would you want? look at look at my Windows computer? That's so when funny. I saw that, like, wait a minute. Number one, that was amazing. Number two, there's a TV channel that just shows like cool tips and tricks and gadgets like 24 7 like what this is amazing I, i'm never changing the channel again it became what mtv used to be to me when i was in my teens where i was just watching total request live every day and never changing the channel tech tv became my world and they would basically every day talk about the tech news they would do gadget reviews think of if like a youtube playlist was played just on TV of just tech videos. That's what it was. And so I had opinions about what I saw on tech TV and, and what encouraged me to start the blog was a company called Scotty Vest. I don't know if you ever heard of them or not. They're still around. So at the time they made these, they made clothes that have all these pockets hidden and built into it. And that had conduits, for like your headphone wires and, and like charging wires. So you could have your iPod in like your pocket and your headphones would like string through the garment and into your ear. So it's not like dangling all over the seems place. Seems like some, it seems like an Instagram ad I would get today. Yes, but they're, they're high quality clothes and they're still around. <laughs> Look it up, scottyvest.com. They're great. Yeah. I saw a segment on these clothes and they called it Scotty Vest Tech, T-E-C, Technology Enabled Clothing. And I was like, I need to talk to the CEO. I need to ask him, how did you even come? Like, it, I was just enthralled. And so I was like, if I, if I talk to this guy, what am I going to do with the information that he gets? I'm just curious. And I was like, okay, I'm starting a website. And the first article was an interview with this guy. And I just, and he sent me some clothes. And I was like, okay, well, I guess I'm going to write about what I think about these clothes and how they work, if they're good or not. And his name is Scott Jordan, CEO of Scotty Vest. And his, you know, I had no audience. I had no one. No one knew who I was. And I reached out to him and he was like, you know what? I'm going to give this guy, you know, an hour or two of my time. I'm going to send him some clothes. And just that gave me a whole new perspective on what the possibility for my future could be. And I didn't see it inside of a, a cubicle in an office. Man, I love that. You've been doing attention arbitrage since day <laughs> one, bruh. That's insane. I mean, all, I mean, all the things that you're saying are still applicable today. When I first started my YouTube channel, obviously a lot of the appeal of collaborations or working with other people is if you have attention. So if you don't have attention, you have to have something else to offer. And going back to podcasting and interviewing people, you know, selfishly for me it's a good way to catch up with friends because when you work so much it's it's hard to go eat lunch or dinner but also you're 
that's great, but you're also offering them something that's going to help them. People are going to check them out after the podcast. So it's all around beneficial. And so I think that's what people have to think is like, how can you provide value to people, even if it's not attention? Because in the beginning, you know, I would say, hey, I only have like 200 subscribers, but here's some documentary films that I made about some cool creative people. And I would like to do the same to you. It's a great video that you can show your family and friends. It's a win-win. I'm going to make a dope video about you for free. So it's thinking about what you can offer these people if it's not attention, because I think that's where people get stuck, right? Oh, well, I don't, I don't have all these subscribers yet. So they start emailing all of these YouTubers wondering why they don't get a response. Well, guys, in the beginning, it only matters uh, about those five people that watch that video or read that blog. Who are those five people? That could maybe be your next interview. That could maybe be your next partner. Um, And you just start small like you did. And you gave this guy who doesn't want to sit down and talk about themselves for an hour. You know, you, you made it sound like he was doing you a favor, but he was probably so excited. He makes clothes with pockets. Someone wants to interview me. He probably was so stoked, you know? And so, I mean, I think that's so valuable for people who want to get their start. Just, I mean, kind of looking at how you got your start, it's still a place. Absolutely. Today. And I think, you know, this is why you kind of alluded earlier, how I'm like YouTuber second or whatever. Like I, I don't even use the word. Like I, I don't use the word YouTube when I talk to brands or when I tell people about what I do, unless they like dig further, you have to like dig further to get me to say that word. It's not that I have any hate towards YouTube at all, but I don't want anyone to get it twisted that YouTube is my live or die. If YouTube disappears or if you like, if I don't perform well, YouTube can disappear tomorrow and I'm cool. I'm, I'm totally fine. And that's because I wanted to build a solid business and use like solid business practices rather than I want to be a YouTuber. So, right. So what are some of those business practices? How, what are you doing to diversify? You know, what are all of your content streams? What is kind of your day to day with businesses? Cause I know you do a certain level of consulting yeah. too. Obviously you have a lot of knowledge in this space. So how do you communicate that value to these companies? You go to Amazon. How do you, you're in, you know, mm-hmm. Seattle, how do you go to Amazon and make them say, Oh, you do know something that we don't know here is much. <laughs> well, the first, the first thing that I have <laughs> on my side is just time, right? I've been doing this since 2004. That's 16 years. That's crazy to say out loud. Um, 16 years that I've been doing this. So I'm in a lot of Rolodexes, which if you're young is a flipping phone book, but um, <laughs> I'm in a lot, like a lot of people know me. So just be, just because of the time that I've put in, if I, if I look at the names of people who started and were around doing the same thing when I started, almost, I can't even think of one who's still doing it. Like they've left the websites, they've started other businesses, they left tech altogether. Um, and tech is very relational. Yes. So when you hold on to those relationships, they can Absolutely. go a long way. So number one, I just have time in. But number two, I've always, always, always been about the the reader, the follower, the subscriber, the viewer. I've I've been about the people in general who are giving me attention, not the companies that are giving me attention. So I I I believe and this is true. I mean, I believe it because it's true. When a company notices you and wants to work with you, they want to work with you because they have something to gain. 
there's something to gain. They're gaining access to the trust that you've built with your audience that they don't have. And it's similar to like, I'm just using the, the titles of these positions. I'm not talking about any specific people. So if you think about the president of the United States, the president of the United States should know the American people better than any other world leader, right? As a whole. But the mayor of some small town in Oklahoma should know the people in that town better than the president of the United States does. Because that's, that's his little specialty. So those people probably trust him more than they trust the, the president at large. And so as a creator, as a journalist, as a whatever you want to call it, I always took very seriously the trust that the average person put in me. And I think over time, companies have grown to respect that. Like I have, a, I have morals. I have a set of rules that I, that, I, that I follow for how I conduct business. I treat everyone with respect. I do not want to mislead you. If I do mislead you or say something incorrect, I will own up to it. I will apologize for it. I will correct it. And I think just over time, on both sides, on the, the audience side and on the relationship with the business side, I've gained respect that way. And so I've never been about the subscriber number, frankly, because when I started, subscriber numbers didn't exist because there was no YouTube. So I never made the switch to my worth is tied to these metrics that I think are purely vanity. And instead, I've only been married in my mind to metrics that show that working with me makes good business sense. So for example, one, one metric that I love showing companies is I can generate X, if I like your, if I like your product, I can generate X amount of dollars in sales consistently. And I can show you that and prove to you because number one, I have contacts at other companies who who have given me permission to give out their name and email address to any new companies that I may work with and they will validate my claims and they'll tell you about the results I was able to drive. And I know that if a company gives me a dollar, they're hoping at the very least to get $1 and one cent back in return for giving me that dollar. So if I have in my mind, I know what I can do, I know what I can generate, I know how to make this work for any product. If I can find the audience for this product, rather than, oh, this product, I don't like it, so therefore it sucks. If I don't like something, therefore it sucks. Which I've never under, like, it's, if I don't like it, who would? Let me talk to them. Hmm. Ooh, that's an unlock. Yeah, Andrew, that's good. Know. That's good. Because sometimes, I mean, what I was just thinking right there is how YouTube has personally changed for me and that, you know, once you look at that metric of who watches you, whether they're subscribed or not, 
so much of YouTube is the audience that goes there and is steered by their homepage. They're just going to click on a video if they're interested by something. So if your video isn't necessarily specifically about a product, how can you make a video? I'm just speaking YouTuber ease now if I'm doing an integrated sponsorship. How can I do a video that is so on par with the product that maybe I'm not obsessed with, but I know is a good product. So I need to find that audience by doing that title thumbnail, that video that resonates with that audience who might want to buy buy that thing. Um, it's up to you to make a video you're excited about and that you know the audience will be stoked about. And then, hey, they during that two-minute ad, they might be really excited about that product you're yes. promoting. Ooh. And I mean, yes. the... The other part of that is if it's an integration, like you just mentioned, the product, I have to figure out who the audience is like it. I, and I said a minute ago, like it always bothers me when people are like Android sucks or iOS sucks. The two biggest software operating systems possibly of all time, they may have superseded windows at this point. It's impossible that either of these things suck. Just because you don't like something doesn't mean that it sucks. literally half the population is on one. So how can something suck if that's possible? So there's a difference between (laughs) hot takes, fanboyism, just wanting to say things to get a rise out of people, or maybe you genuinely believe it, and being fair. There's There's a big difference. I'm all about, I wanna be fair. So even if it's an integration, here's a product, I may not like it and it may not fit into my life, but I also have to recognize very quickly, my life is not the average life, especially when it comes to tech. So who, who is the target market for this product? Who, whose life would this product make better? And not only do I tailor the two minute integration to that, but the video as a whole I'm going to make that video something that that viewer would watch because they're the one that needs to see the ad that's in it. Totally. So 100%. And a lot of that is almost like, you know, you mentioned lifestyle, but a lot of, in, in my experience of me getting attention from companies is they kind of like the aspect where it's not just straight up tech 24 seven. There are lifestyle components in it because then that's easier to mold into what you're talking about. You can insert it into a video that then shapes a narrative. And I know I was talking about it almost like, don't take this as like sleazy, like, Oh, we're making a video just to sell a thing. But there's a, there's a, a world where those two things can coexist. Basically you can make a video that you're excited about and then you can find that audience. And there's, there's knowledge behind that to where you're doing the research. You're, you're actually thinking about it. You're not just like throwing it in a video and hoping it lands somewhere. There's intention behind it. And I feel like I'm genuinely helping someone like not just not the brand, but like I am helping the brand, but I'm helping the brand by helping the viewer. If I can find a viewer who will genuinely have their life made more fun, more convenient, easier in some way because of this product, then I've now helped that person have even just a one half one of 1% better life. I feel good. So, yeah. Yeah. So, and then beyond your, you know, what you do on YouTube and beyond that, give us a little, um, little that creative life summary 
little okay. insight to help our listeners with maybe some some okay. tactics, some strategy that you share behind the doors of these big companies because you you do go beyond just That's posting right. on your socials and you do help strategy with these big yeah, companies. Yeah, so first of all, you want to gain you want to gain the trust of any companies that you want to work with. Um, easiest way to do that goes back to the word I used a few minutes ago, which is fairness. Be fair. That means call out things that you may not like. That's fine, but do it in a fair way versus this just sucks because I said so. So gain trust in the industry. Think of, think of it that way. How do I gain trust? Number two, don't tie yourself to any one platform. It's just a tip for success. They always say like, don't put all your eggs in one basket. And you've heard all these terms before. They're true. Don't tie yourself to just YouTube. And I have an anecdote for that real quick, just as a little aside. Um, someone reached out to me, it was about two years ago now on Twitter, asked for advice on how to grow their YouTube subscribership from, I believe it was 800 to 1,000 because they got this invitation from a brand, but in order to accept it, you had to have a minimum of 1,000 subscribers. So he wanted to get, he wanted to get there because it was a big opportunity for him. And I gave him some tips. And his channel was maybe five years old. So in five years, he gained 800 subscribers. And then within two weeks, he needed two more. Like he needed to grow by 20%. And that was going to be tough. So I gave him some tips. He didn't make it, but he, he found me at Playlist Live. And he walked up to me. He introduced himself and he said, hey, I just want to introduce myself and say thank you. A few months ago, I reached out to several creators that I love. You were the only one who responded. You gave me some tips. I didn't meet the goal that I wanted to meet, but you said something in your answer that changed my life. And what I told him was, here's how you can potentially get subscribers quickly. But what I would really recommend you do is evaluate your content and think about if YouTube is the only place where it belongs. He's a dancer. At the time, TikTok was called Musical.ly. I said, look at this, look at this other platform. Look what people are doing here. They're doing exactly what you're doing. He joined Musical.ly. He started uploading there. He was introducing himself to me six months later at Playlist Live because he had 2 million people following him on Musical.ly and Playlist Live had invited him to perform on stage. And he had spent years struggling on YouTube when there were all these other places that he could have looked for success. So I'm a big proponent of I want to be where you are. So where, where the attention is, if you're on Instagram, if you're on your phone and you tap on the Instagram icon, it's because you want to be looking and in Instagram. It's not because you don't open Instagram in the hopes that someone is asking you to swipe up to go over to YouTube. So I'm going to upload my content to IGTV in full so that you don't have to leave your platform of choice. I'm going to upload my content in full to Facebook because if you're on Facebook, you're there because you want to be there. If you're on Twitter, well, you can't upload a full video on Twitter, but you get the idea. I want to be where you are and I want to respect the fact that you've chosen where you want to be at this time. It goes like I'm it's a it's a matter of respect for me. So it's it's more disrespectful and, I, and some people hate when I say this, it's more disrespectful, in my opinion, to go onto other platforms and try to corral you over 
to my YouTube channel because I'm all about, I need the, I need you. I need the stats over here. I don't care about the stats. I don't care about, I don't care about the views. What I care about is the audience. I want you where you want to be to be able to access my content at all times. So that's tip number two. That's a big one because from a business sense, it's about attention. And number two, I have heard so many times, oh, our YouTube budget has been, you know, depleted for the quarter, but do you do Facebook or do you do Instagram? And if my answer was no, I don't because Facebook doesn't have a little box I can check that says monetize video. Therefore, I refuse to put my content there. Then the brand is going to say, okay, well then we have nothing for you, but absolutely. So I've, I've gone to, when people say, well, you can't monetize Facebook. I show them, I monetize Facebook all the time. I just don't monetize via Facebook. I monetize it myself when talking to brands. If you skip other platforms because you're so romanticized by YouTube subscriber numbers and views, you could be missing not only audience and attention success, but financial success as well because you're so, you're so fixated on one place. Yes. That's so good. And what I've noticed throughout your journey is, you know, a lot of people say, okay, well, you've put in the time, right? So that's how you know people. But at every step of the way, you've been curious, you've been asking questions, you've been sliding into the email inbox, or you, you'll literally reach out to the random CEO of that clothing company because you're, you're about it and you want to create content around it. So many people always have troubles of, of bridging that gap, but guy, it's literally just staying curious and reaching out. And, and if they don't respond, you move on to the next, but you also have to evaluate how do you provide enough value for them to where you are in their Rolodex? Like what you said, I, I do know that word. Um, <laughs> and so what, what is some of that advice, maybe not for individual creators now, but maybe, you know, people who listen to this podcast are also in the industry. They're working for companies. They're working for agencies. They're, they're trying to, at the end of the day, sell something. And maybe they are a social media manager and they're just trying to figure out their overall strategy and they're looking at things. Maybe they're looking at the wrong stats, you know, they, they are romantic about that. They want, they want to build their YouTube following. So they're not going to post that full video to Facebook and Instagram because, oh, they want to grow the YouTube following. But really at the end of the day, it's all about results for, for companies. So, um, how, how would you share some of that advice for those people who at the end of the day, maybe it's not about attention and following, but it's about getting that sale. I think, I mean, just my honest answer is I think it's pretty short-sighted. I think it's pretty short-sighted to chase to chase the res, the short-term result. The short-term result is here's our product and we want to get it in front of X number of people on this one platform that we're not really established on. So how can we put all of our effort into meeting this goal? And then when a goal is met or not met, the whole thing kind of just almost falls apart because you were only putting effort in 
to reach the short-term goal. And when you meet it or don't meet it, when the, when the date comes that determines whether it's successful or not, if you stop putting in the effort, then it's, it becomes useless. Now, now it's, you know, it's almost like when like they build these amusement parks that then close down the amusement park still stands, but it's just empty for like the rest of time. It's there, but you can't, you can't use it. It's useless. So you, you, you built something for, for short-term gain versus making a clear decision. Here's where we want to be long-term and on the way as we get there, like the thing about this is whether it's social content, like we're talking about, or like hardware, people for some reason look down upon the like step-by-step improvement type of thing and want something radical, radical, radical all the time. What do we hear in like the consumer electronics industry every two years in America? Oh, this is an S year. It's an S year. This isn't a real new iPhone. It's just, a, it's just, it's just small improvements. No, nothing to see here. But if you look, it's small improvement after small improvement after small improvement every year that got us from the original iPhone to what we have in our pockets today. You can't ex- expect radical new ideas and new change. It's more about picking a course and then staying a course and then course correcting. And if you can do that long term, it's hard. I think it's hard to not get success in that way because you're consistent. And that's probably the most important thing. There's fairness and there's consistency. If you're, and I think that's why you asked me earlier, why do brands come to me to help them? So not with a deal, but like, Hey, can you help us behind the scenes? It's because I think I've shown over the years that I'm fair. I want to help people. And number three, I get consistent results. It's consistent. Like you can, you can count on what I'm saying. You can count on my track record. And that, and that consistency is going to help when the goal is also building community beyond just getting sales. How, how do people balance paid media, influencer marketing, and their own organic content in building that community? You have a budget. You have a certain amount of creative people whether it's through an agency or it's in-house how what break it down what should the percentages be what should you know obviously it depends on what what type of company you are and it depends again if it's in-house or agency but um how should people how should companies and people working within companies that is a fantastic breakdown fantastic question yeah because even and I'll, i'll add one more thing even with paid media that's the influencer world and paid media world can can blend right because you can use the influencers to create the content but a lot of times if companies have a lot of money they'll use bigger agencies to create the content for the paid media and then they'll see influencers as a whole different thing but in our world we've seen those those worlds really blend together i think and i'm not saying this because i'm someone who is an influencer it's the reverse. I am an influencer because I believe this. Um, number one, I think influencers are the future because it goes back to the fact that we have a genuine 
relationship and trust with an audience. It's something that it's, it's a different kind of trust than what you would have if you were doing paid media that is displayed on Facebook or a website or that plays before someone's YouTube video or even, you know, a commercial break during the Super Bowl or Jimmy Fallon or whatever, what have you, because none of those things are the kind of relationship that a single person, me, you, you know, someone like us, we make content and then we interact with the people who watch it, enjoy it, have questions about it. Maybe they don't like it, but here's why. Like construct, like we have a real relationship with people who trust what we say. And that's different than watching a TV commercial. That's different than, you know, Tim Cook on stage saying, this is why this is the best thing we've ever made. Like we can break it down. And if we're consistent enough through the years and fair, people trust what we have to say. You can't, you can't buy anything better than that. You cannot buy it. Um, I also think while paid media is great, there's a different kind of shelf life. So if someone pays Sarah Dietschy to look at something, be fair about it, disclose, and she makes a piece of content, three years later, if I have a question about that piece of content, I can find it. If I take my same budget and I put that towards a TV commercial, a Super Bowl ad, maybe the Super Bowl ad is the one that lives a little longer because it's a Super Bowl ad, a Facebook ad. When that date ends for the insertion order, you cannot find that content anymore. It's gone because you run it from date from this date to this date. And when the date's over, you get what you get and no one can find it anymore. I'd much rather put my power behind people who I know have a relationship with the target audience I'm seeking out and the content basically lives forever. Now that doesn't mean you might not decide one day, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm done with YouTube. I'm killing my channel. Everything's gone. But for the most part, you make content and it stays there because it becomes your body of work. So I do think there's a place for traditional media for paid media, but I do also think there's a special, there's a special place for the relationship and respect that a true creator I'm trying to think of like the way to say it because. Well, it's almost like it takes, it takes a little bit more work, whether it's the agency, whether it's the company to first form that relationship with the creator to, to communicate in a way that, Hey, this needs to be something more than just an ad someone scrolls by. So I think that's why some people are almost intimidated by influencer marketing in the, in the effective way um, of like actually building those relationships with creators and, and being able to really get across how to communicate these ideas. Cause a lot of times people think that uh, just find a bunch of Instagram models and like give them this tea and we'll just promote the crap out of it. And there's, there's really no like creative inspiration behind it. Um, so it does 
that's kind of like what's so interesting about influencer marketing being the now and the future is you have these people not only with the relationship, but they're also creating really high level content. You know, maybe they're not shooting everything with a cinema camera. Maybe, oh, it's like not as perfect as, you know, a professional commercial. But you can also use these people as not only the content that lives forever, like you said, it's searchable. It has a shelf life. Anyone can find it via search or if they want to reference it again. It's not only, you not only can use them as a trusted face to then run paid media. So yeah, let's use the organic leverage that these people have, but also a lot of people trust their face. So maybe let's use their face in the paid media. Even beyond that, you can also use them to build a catalog of organic content for your own brand Um, and you can be strategic about that so they can be really good partners alongside these agencies to do all three things I think and I really think that is the future those lines will blur and, and you'll find a lot of tools that will enable this but I think creators are that next wave of they will be the ones who are running the agencies because you get everything and we're all friends and we can all talk to each other oh you want peter mckinnon's email yeah yeah yeah. here's his manager you know and it's like you said relationships but it's also trusting these people with going above and beyond just a youtube integration which i think is the more exciting yeah uh, and i think you just said something that like i was struggling to come up with the right term a minute ago Influencer, I said influencers of the future, but there's the problem with that term is I feel like you brought up the T. Like, let's just find some models, give them the T. Like, that's not what I mean. It's more creator yeah. marketing. The creators, it's the people. The creators, who, yeah, it's the creators, yes, the creators with with influence who take pride in their work. Those kinds of people, like, that's gold for your company. So that's really what I meant. No, that's so good. So as we're wrapping things up and I wish we had more time to dive into this. Maybe we'll I have to do come part to the two, studio because I'm mad that but John you just got casually, to. yeah, yes, I know you got to. Well, hopefully New York will. Um, well, I will say settle down, but it seems like the people hitting the streets is actually having some change, which is actually pretty cool. Um, but once things evolve to a somewhat normal you you really do we'll we'll do a part two in the in the new york office um but in the podcast that we did on y'all's podcast you casually dropped that you were in foster homes for the span of two years and it, it seems like you've gone through a fair share of adversity in your life but like look at you now like holy smokes if you can do it a lot of people can do it um how did you end up in that situation? I'm sure it's shaped how you live. Yeah, it's every it's, day. You know, the life. crazy <laughs> thing is, is um, anytime like I see some sort of adversity in someone else's life, I'm always kind of like you, like, man, how do you, how did you do it? But for the person, it's like that was that was just life. Like to me, you know, it, there was a lot of tr- trauma. Um, I grew up with. Um, a mother who was addicted to drugs. And so when I was four years old, she brought me to a babysitter. She never came back. Babysitter brought me to a police station. Like, I don't know where his mom is. And then I look over and I see my mother in handcuffs. And at the time I'm thinking, you know, cause I'm four, like, Oh, if you're in handcuffs, you're bad and you go to jail forever. I'm never seeing my mother again. This is crazy. And I start having a mental breakdown. Um, so that kind of started my, 
my stint in foster care. And so they had to find someone instantly for me to go to that night. So it was whoever you know was available out of the kindness of their heart to take in this little kid. Um, the one thing that I don't have is a sense of time. Like I know how many families I was in. I was in 23 homes over the course of two years, but I don't know if that was like one week here, two weeks there, or you know, six months. Like I just don't know, but I was changing schools all the time and I was changing families all the time. And you know, the one thing or the two things like, my mother obviously struggled with addiction, but she somehow made me know beyond the shadow of a doubt that I was loved at all times. And so through, through the process, I knew number one, there was someone out there that loved me, even though I'm not seeing them. I know they're there. I know someone cares. And number two, she always taught me to respect studying and books. (laughs) So I remember being little and like I had a book and I just, I wasn't even mad or like having a tantrum, but I threw a book, right? And she's like, you never disrespect books. You never do that. These are, you know, where it's a privilege that we have these. And so through the years, those two things were always a focus, studying, and taking pride in like in schoolwork and knowing that this person cared about me, even though they were somewhere else and not, you know, in my presence, um, that kept me going for so long. I was a straight A student despite moving from school to school, borough to borough in New York. And my mother eventually died of HIV when I was 16 and I was in high school and that oddly was like my, my straight A's stopped. Basically it was like, I was, she kept me going despite not being in my physical presence for a long time. And then it was like, okay, I can just like be a, a kid now. Like I can just be now rather than like being like the, the model, I guess it was like my way of loving her back from afar. Like she, she taught me what's, what's important. So I'm going to show through my life. This is important because that's what I was taught. So it, it was, it was always this thing of perseverance for me. How can I persevere through trials that other people would have difficulty with what could i find in life that i value so much that i want to excel for that and that's kind of what it was for me i wanted to excel because this person taught me instilled in me ingrained in me this is what's important this is what's going to set you apart from others in the future. So I just had a high standard of excellence for myself. Yeah. And what a gift to give that to you as as a kid, even so, even though when, you know, she wasn't there, I mean, I'm sure there was a lot of stuff in New York city that probably could have gotten you in trouble, but through it all, holy hell, like you turned out fantastic. Again, you know, it's, um, I always (laughs) like when I was young, I heard this story, this kid was going off to college 
his dad, you know, drove him up there and his dad, upon dropping him off and getting ready to leave to head back home, like looked at his son and was like, you know, you're going to have new temptations here. You're going to have new experiences here. The one thing and the only thing I ask you to do is don't do anything with our name that would make it look bad. So basically don't act in a way that would make people question who raised this person? Where'd they come? Who's like, do represent the name that we've given you to the best of your ability. And so I, that I heard that in like second grade and it always stuck with me. Like I, the things you do make people judge, not just you, but your tribe or the people around you. And I want to represent the people who took the time to, to raise me or to, to guide me or to counsel me. I want to like bring them up through my actions as well. So. Yeah. Wow. You sounded, you sounded like a (laughs) very wise little kid. (laughs) If you heard that story in second grade, I was like, yes. I'm like, I was wondering where my fruit roll-ups were in second grade. I was worrying about what True. was I mean, in that I had those voice too. I had those voice <laughs> That's too. amazing. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Andrew, this has been a pleasure. This has been so amazing. Um, as we're signing off, is there anything else that we left off that you just want um, to put, put out, out into, the world. into the world? Black lives do matter. Mm, yes. Yes. And if people do not... If people are still, uh, what? If you're still shocked by that statement, there's a lot of great resources out there that I'll link in the show notes below to learn about everything that's going out, you know, going on in the world. And all lives don't matter without black lives not mattering right now, you know, you know. Um, so Andrew, thank you so much for being on. Um, and I'll, I'll link also in the show notes below the podcast that we did. Go check that out, guys, on Andrew's podcast. And then where are all the places that people can find you? All right. YouTube. Just uh, so that my name is spelled A-N-D-R-U. Just so you know. So if you search Andrew Edwards, I will come up or gear live. Um, Instagram is just Andrew and Twitter is Andrew Edwards, all one word. Amazing. Andrew, thank you for being on. Thank you for Listeners, having me. This thank was, you. This is great. I appreciate yes, it. Yes. This, this is so great. Uh, make sure that you guys are subscribed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you find your podcasts. Um, and check out all the links in the show notes below if you want more. Andrew, thank you for being on. Until next time, guys, we will see you next Monday. <laughs>